God's Word. Our passage is Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 28. It's page 865 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible of your own this morning, it should be one that looks like this nearby if you want to hunt one of those up. And turn to page 865, again, Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 28. We'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, page 865 in your Red Pew Bibles. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Cade. <clears throat> Just a reminder as we come this morning to God's word, one of the things that we always especially emphasize in the new year is um, developing or maybe even deepening your practice of spending time daily and regularly in God's Word. I can think of no other thing that you could give your time to that would more impact your relationship with God and really your whole life than to regularly read God's Word. And that goes for us who are adults and us who are kids as well. Now, on the email, we have some tools that we send out uh, that you can uh, you know, look up or find some plan that works for you. We also have some plans for kids as well, uh, for different age groups. And uh, I've just found it's really helpful to, to have a plan. You know, some of us have the plan of like, okay, God, what do you want me to read today? I'm going to open the book and, oh, I'm in Leviticus. What do I do with this? Um, I would actually not recommend that. I would recommend you actually have a plan. <laughs> That, that is guiding you through what to read. So let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, we need the renewing power of your spirit as you come to use your word upon our hearts. As we've seen and learned from your word the way that you bring new life in us is by the power of your word through your spirit and we pray that as we come to your word now that you would use your word upon our hearts that you would open us that you would speak to us and that we would see the word that became flesh that we would see Jesus come and be our teacher in Christ's name we pray amen so kids, a question to get us started here. Have you ever eaten too much and think to yourself, why did I do that? You ever had that experience? Maybe, yeah, thank you for these hands slowly going up. We're confessing gluttony this morning. No, um, <laughs> indulgence. Um, maybe you had that experience over the Christmas holidays. I certainly did. And I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of this, this time that I actually uh, got to witness this in another person instead of just experiencing it myself. But I, th I think it was about a year ago, and I picked my boys up from a basketball game. We were in Lafayette. We're coming home from a basketball game, and they were like ravenous, as, you know, teenage boys get. They were starving. 
And I said, all right, what do you want to get? What do you want me to pick up? And they said, crystal. Now, I had warned them before about crystal. I know few things that are more delicious than the first crystal. The problem is the 18 that follow it, right? As the comedian Louis C.K. says, the meal is not over when I'm full. The meal is not over until I hate myself. That's the experience when you eat crystal, at least for me. So what do they do? They pull up. We order a bag of 25 crystals. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't think I ate one. And they hit these so hard. And it was so much fun at the beginning. But you know, as it starts to set in, you start to feel bad about yourself. And you start to feel low and dark and depressed. <laughs> we were five minutes from Crystal. And the boys are like, oh, why did I do this? Dad, why did you let me do this? And I'm like, this is a rite of passage for every young man. I share that because that experience of going after something and diving into something and chasing after something that delivers less and less return is really the human experience. It certainly resonates deeply with me. This is the pattern so often I find in my life. You know, I've, I've shared this before, but one core struggle that I often have is indulgence. That is too much of a good thing that I go after something, some experience or eating something or watching something or whatever it might be. I go after something as a way to comfort myself, to experience life and peace and all of these things. And what I find is that oftentimes whenever I'm, I'm in that frame and that pattern is at work in my life, I'm finding myself experiencing less and less joy. I often do this. I, I get into this place in life. It's a recurring pattern in my life where I just want to kind of live life in my own way. I want to be dependent of, uh, independent of God. I want to I make my own decisions and chart my own course. And I, I want to go my own way. And I find myself running after things that do not deliver life. And then... After a period of time, I find myself weary and burdened and saying, why do I keep falling into this pattern? And yet I'm face to face with this deep resistance in my heart to live utterly dependent upon God. Isn't this why we become addicted to our iPhones? Isn't this why pornography can be such a dangerous reality in our lives? Isn't this why we get so wrapped up in social media or how other people see us. Isn't this why we are chasing things in life? We're chasing money and success or experiences in life thinking finally this is going to do it and yet it doesn't and very rarely do we stop to say, wait a minute, maybe the problem is seeking life in created things. What we often do in that place is find some other distraction to medicate us. From this incessant restlessness that's in our hearts. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O God. And restless is the human heart until it finds its rest in you. That is the reality 
of all of our hearts. And some of the ways that we try to fix this in ourselves is through good things. I think that's what New Year's resolutions are often about. We find ourselves low and overfed and overstimulated and overdistracted, and we come into a new year and we say, New year, new me, right? So I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to work out and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to improve myself. And it just doesn't ever really happen. It doesn't quite do it because we find ourselves right back there. And for some of us, it's just work. For some of us, it's such a good thing as work that we can't stop working because in some way it makes us feel okay. And it protects us from just sitting alone with ourselves. We're starting a a discipleship series this morning where we're talking about this really core calling of the church and that is to make disciples. That's what this is all about. That's what the church is to focus on. That we are disciples of Jesus who are making disciples of Jesus. And that is really the heart of all that the church is to do. But we're talking about what is discipleship? This following of Jesus, this ordering my life around the person of Jesus, this forming habits and patterns in my life that lead me deeper into a growing relationship with Jesus. That is discipleship and that is what we are and every church is to be about. So this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus, we're going to see his invitation to come And find life and rest in him alone. So again, Matthew 11, chapter 28 here. And as we come into this, this is, I think, one of those unique passages in Scripture. But this is an invitation of Jesus. And as we come to this, I just want to encourage you to just quite simply hear the invitation of Jesus to you personally. Because that's what this is. Jesus comes to us and he says to each one of us, no matter where we are in life, no matter what our experience has been with him, no matter what we believe right now, no matter if we have been apart from Jesus, no matter if we think that all of this is just all bogus, or no matter if we've been walking with him all of our life, no matter where you are this morning, Jesus, through these words, comes to us and invites us to himself with these words. And just imagine him speaking to you by name. That's what he does. And he says, come to me. That's really the most important thing a human being can ever hear and have the opportunity to respond to in life. Because it is the only way to rest. That's what Jesus says here. Come to me and I will give you rest. Every other alternative. Every other place that we're tempted to run and to go, every other invitation in the world to self-improvement or to uh, building a great life or whatever invitation there is in life, all of them are 100% inferior to the invitation of Jesus where he says, come to me and find rest. Now the rest that he offers is not a rest in our bodies. So often that's what we try to do. We try to find something that's going to give me rest because what is the reality? We're all way too busy. We are all way too anxious. 
Our lives are way too full. And so we spend so much of our time and our thoughts and our energies just longing for an escape and an experience, a vacation, something, some peace and quiet, something to take the busyness away, something to give rest to my body. But the reality is, is that no body rest will do what we most deeply need. Because what we need is not body rest. That's good as far as it goes. We need soul rest. And only Jesus offers that. He knows something about us here. He knows the reality of life under the sun for all of us. And that is that we're weary and burdened. That's the invitation. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened which in some way includes each and every person in here by nature. Now, some of us aren't in touch with that. Some of us are so distracted and life is so full, we don't even have the moment to stop and feel our weariness. But I'm convinced some of us in here deeply feel it. Maybe you stumbled in this morning. You just barely made it here. Maybe life feels crushing. Maybe life feels hopeless. Maybe you are plagued by some struggle in life. See, the reality of life apart from Jesus is weariness and burden. You know, I know this when I get to this place, and it's often. When I get to that place and I begin to feel that deep weariness, and I begin to feel that burden, and that anxiety begins to come over me, and I just feel like, what can I do? when, When I'm experiencing those things, you know what I know? I know that I have been walking independently of Jesus. And it's the natural inclination of the heart to want to live life with a place of independence, to want to call my own shots, to provide my own own name or accomplishments or whatever. It's the natural default of the human heart is to live independently of God. And when we do that, it always produces weariness and burden. It's what's behind all of our busyness. Now, sometimes busyness, it kind of feels righteous, right? You know, what, have, what, what do you do just in small talk? And somebody says, hey, how you been lately? What do we all, I'm, I'm just going to guess 99% of us, how do we answer? Busy. And that's not a confession of sin, right? <laughs> that's actually, if we're honest, it feels important to be busy. It feels like. I'm accomplishing something. I'm doing something. I'm righteous because my life is filled with all of these things or even I need things or I've got a, the whole world is spinning on, in my hand. I've, everything's on my shoulders. I've got to carry everything. It, it can feel righteous. It can feel like, man, I'm, I'm really doing something here. But the reality is almost always it's seeking to live independently of God. But Jesus sees where we are. He knows the reality of our heart. He knows the autopilot in our heart that is just kind of always trending towards self-reliance and independence. And Jesus comes to us and he says, come to me. And I just want you, I just want those words, that invitation to invite you to come to Jesus. So the question arises, what does this mean? What does it mean to come to Jesus? That can feel a little 
ethereal, you know? If it was a person just standing in front of me to come to them, well, I'm going to walk and stand next to you. That would be simple. But what does Jesus mean whenever he comes to us and he says, come to me? What does that mean? Now, thankfully, he explains exactly what he means in verse 29. Look again at verse 29. What does it mean, Jesus, to come to you? It means this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. To come to Jesus means to take his yoke upon you. Now, this is an interesting thing to say, right? What is a yoke? You know, we, we don't live in such an agrarian society as the first century was that Jesus lived in. They would have known right off what a yoke was. But if you've been around farming at all, you know a yoke is a, it's a piece of farm equipment. It's a, it's a thing that would be used to tie two oxen together to pull a load. It was an instrument of work. And so, when we understand that, we would say, wait a minute, how's that going to help my weariness? How's that going to help my burden? I don't need a yoke, I need a bed, I need a couch. That's what I often think, right? But Jesus is talking about something that his listeners here would know exactly what he's talking about. You see, in the first century, a yoke was a common idiom for taking on the teaching of a rabbi. So a rabbi was a teacher. They were someone who, were, who would teach the Torah. They would teach the word of God. And not only would they teach it in the way that we often think in a classroom setting. They would teach it from doing life together. And so to take on the yoke of a rabbi mean that you, means that you would come and become the disciple of that rabbi. It means that you would do life with them. You were following them. You were watching the rabbi. You were learning from them, not just information from your head, but how to embody their way of life. It was a particular way of following God. And so to take upon the yoke of a rabbi means I would become your disciple. I would walk with you. I would learn your particular way of doing life. It was interesting, we were talking about this years ago in a small group, and somebody said, oh, I know a great illustration for this. Growing up, I learned piano, and my piano teacher, I had a relationship with her. And you know what's interesting is that she taught me a particular way to play the piano. And even now, you can listen to me play the piano, and you can hear my teacher in, every, in all the ways that I play. And I'm like, what a great illustration of discipleship. You see, a really good, helpful word for disciple is apprentice. Now, we're a little familiar with that. You know what an apprentice is. An apprentice is someone who would go to learn a particular trade from a master, someone that knew what they were doing, something that, someone that knew how to do it. And so you would be with them, and you would be learning from them how to do what they do in your life. That's an apprenticeship. So when we talk about discipleship, what were we talking about? We're talking about apprenticing to Jesus. We're talking about taking his yoke upon us. Now here is the incredible thing that Jesus tells us about his yoke. It's light. It is without burden. It is the easy way to do life. Jesus doesn't offer us an easy life. Life is not easy. Jesus never said it would be. Everyone who's ever lived more than 10 years knows life is not easy. 
It's hard. It's burdensome. It's broken. So Jesus doesn't offer us an easy life. What he offers us is an easy yoke. That is a way of carrying the load of life. Everybody's got to carry your own load. Your life. And there's a load there. But the way of Jesus is a way of carrying life. That is easy. A way of doing life. A way of interacting with people. A way of following the Lord. A way of encountering everything in your life that is without burden. Now this is... I know, very different from what we normally think when we think of following Jesus. You know, in the Bible Belt, what we often think whenever we hear come to Jesus is we think an initial decision in your life, right? So we think, well, okay, to come to Jesus means I begin to believe something in my head, so it means I'm getting all my theology right. I'm getting all the understanding in my head. I'm knowing all the right answers and stuff. Now, that's good as far as it goes, but that's just not... The entirety of discipleship. And then others of us, and this is especially emphasized in the Bible Belt, is that when we think about following Jesus, we think about, again, an initial decision. You know, it's, it's that moment in my life where I come to believe and I, uh, I pray a sinner's prayer and I receive Jesus and I give my life to him and I surrender my life to him. And we think, of okay, that's coming to Jesus. Now that is, that's important. But the problem you see is that especially in the American church and in the Bible Belt, we make all the emphasis on the beginning. You know how it is. You've got to know the hour and the moment and the day, and you've got to know where you were and what it felt like and the quiver in your liver and all of that stuff. And you've got to be able to share it. I mean, that makes for a good testimony, right? And that's fine. If that's your testimony, I love that. But the problem is that we emphasize the very beginning. And yet as we come to Scripture and we come to the actual teaching of Jesus, the emphasis is not on the beginning. It's on the end. It's perseverance. It's following Him with your life, day in, day out. And it's somehow, through the power of Holy Spirit, making it to the end when you see Him face to face. That's what it's all about. It would be very, be very odd if you went to a race and half of the people who were lining up for the race, when that gun goes off and the race starts, they cross the starting line and they sit down and just sit around and start to celebrate. You would wonder, what is wrong with these people? I'm not sure they understand what they have just begun. Like, good job, you crossed the starting line. You're not in the stands, you got in the race, that's great, but get up and run. Because the whole point... It's not the starting line, it's the finish line. You see, we've got to change our understanding about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means, in the words of Dallas Willard, a disciple is someone who's learning to live their life as Jesus would live their life if Jesus were living their life. I love that way of putting it. You know, it's learning to, to, to really work out the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the heart and teachings of Jesus into your life and to say, how would Jesus do this if he were living my life? It's working that out. It's taking upon himself. Now, what is the, just the very heart of the way and the yoke of Jesus? 
Robert Rowe talked about it last week in his sermon. It is dependence on the Father. Man, you look at the life and the teaching of Jesus and what was at the very heart of his whole life. It was utter dependence on the Father. You know, he was all the time saying, I can't do anything on my own. Everything that I do, I do in dependence on the Father. I don't, all my words, my words are not my own, but they're the words of my Father. I, Jesus could not conceive doing life apart from his Father. In fact, it was overwhelming to imagine because his heart was dependence on the Father. That's the way of Jesus. And so what was he always doing? You know, when you talk about a load of life, Jesus had quite a load, right? He, he was the Savior of the world. He came into the world and he healed all of these people. He had a very robust ministry. But what do you notice about the way he handled all of that? Utter dependence on the Father. To the dismay of the disciples, Jesus would oftentimes, you know, the big crowd's coming, the music's hopping, you know, the smoke machines are going, the disciples are excited about this big booming ministry Jesus has got. And what would Jesus do? Yeah, I think I'm going to go pray, like, for a couple days. He walked away from the crowd. Jesus knew how to say no. That's astonishing to me, because I have no idea how to say no. I need the yoke of Jesus. He knew how to walk away. He knew that the only way that he could do what he was called to do was if he was with the Father. So Jesus had this practice of solitude in his life, of silence in his life, of meditation on God's word, of being with God in prayer, just pulling away, and that's where his strength came from. Now, why would that be the place of his strength? Because I can do nothing on my own, but only through the Father who lives in me. So, you see, when you talk about apprenticing to Jesus, that's what we're talking about. Like, how do I go through my life in all the specific things that I'm facing with an utter dependence on the Father? Like this trust that he's sovereign over everything. Like this trust that like he's carrying everything so I don't have to carry it. Like this deep rest in knowing the pleasure of the Father. Man, I think that would cure a lot of our hurry and busyness. Because we fill our life with so many things because we're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to matter. We all want to matter. But what if your mattering came all from the Father? That you had a deep sense of knowing that the Father looks on you and says, I am so pleased with you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. Doesn't that cure our busyness maybe a little bit? It did for Jesus. His identity didn't come from ministry. His identity didn't come from being incessantly busy. His identity didn't come from always being helpful. His identity did not come from the way that people looked at him and thought of him. In fact, his reputation went down the tubes. And he was okay with that. Why? Because he knew the pleasure of his father. And that was his core. So when we take on the yoke of Jesus, that's what we're after. Jesus, I'm with you. Teach me how to depend on the father. Teach me how to walk this unburdened life. You know, if I'm a mother, 
how do I go about parenting my children with all of the burdens and the weariness of that? I can think of nothing more wearying than being a mother. But how can I do this in the way that Jesus would do this? How would Jesus parent these children? How would he handle all of the concerns and the fears of how are they going to turn out or what, what kind of, uh, how should I do my feeding? It's for Mark and Sarah right now, they're having to figure that out right now. How do we do feedings? And everybody's got a thousand different opinions of the right way to do it, right? If you're a mother, like, you get overloaded with advice. Oh, it's so awful, right? How, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a businessman, if you're a builder, if you're a student in school, how would Jesus go about being a student in your class, surrounded by your classmates and under the instruction of your teacher? That's what it means to take on the yoke of Jesus. And you can't do that unless you're with the master. That's really the heart of it. It's got to be in relationship with him that we're learning to take his yoke upon ourselves. So let's do a little application here. Here's a question I want us to wrestle with. What holds you back from coming to Jesus? Now that might seem a little bit odd of a question. Because there's probably many of us that hear that and say, I've come to Jesus. When I was 10 years old, I heard the gospel and I came to Jesus. And that's wonderful. Or we might think, you know, what's holding you back from coming to Jesus? Well, I came to Jesus like five years ago. There was this time in my life and there was a, you know, this hard thing going in my life. And I came to Jesus and that experience was amazing. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, we oftentimes tend to live out of a past coming to Jesus. I've already done that. I'm good. I got that box checked. But the thing to understand about what this invitation is about is that it's not a one-time invitation. The word that Jesus uses in the Greek where he says come is not a one-time completed action. It is a come to me and then just keep on a coming. That's what he says, because that's the only way to get life. That's the only way to get soul rest, is to keep coming to Jesus. And so sometimes we're just living off the fumes of past coming to Jesus. And yet we're in a place right now, maybe even today, and we're like, I don't know if I want to. What so often keeps us back from coming to Jesus? I think it's control. So look at my life. Because when you come to Jesus, you got to surrender. Because he's like not a genie in a bottle. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. So you don't come to Jesus holding on to all these things in your life, all of your agendas, all the control in your life, and say, all right, Jesus, we're here. He says, no, no, no. When you come to me, you come vulnerably. You come empty-handed. It, be it begins with surrender. And that's the hardest part, I think, so, for so many of us. It's surrendering control. It's back to that independence thing. There's something deep in us, some autopilot that we got from Adam and Eve, where we just want to do life on our own. I just want to make my own decisions. I just want to seek my own comfort. I like to be able to comfort myself. I don't like to have to wait on God's comfort. I know how to do this. I have all kinds of strategies to comfort my own heart. Of course, they don't last. 
that make me weary and burdened, but still I'm doing it on my own. You relate to that, and I can. But we don't want to surrender control. And it holds us back from coming to Jesus. But then for some of us, and I also relate to this too, we don't come to Jesus because we don't feel worthy. Right? This idea that I got to have it all together to come to Jesus. You know, so I find this, you know, when I, when I, when I'm in those little mini departures from Jesus that I talked about, you know, I'm in that kind of mood or that mindset of, well, I just want to live on my own. I want to do my own thing. And I come to the end of that and it's just kind of empty. And I'm like, oh, I got to come back to Jesus. Sometimes what holds me up there is the guilt and shame I feel over the fact that I keep walking away. I keep having this tendency to do my own thing. For some of us, it's that guilt that holds us back. And so we think, man, i got to clean up to come back to Jesus. i got to get my act together. I can't come such a mess to Jesus, right? I've got to in some way show him I mean it. And it's just all a way of thinking we got to be worthy to come to Jesus, which is really ludicrous. Because why? One of the most beautiful things in this passage is how he describes his heart. What does he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Man, that's the good news of this invitation. Jesus is gentle. He's gentle with sinners. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter how ugly your heart is, no matter how great your resistance to him is, he's gentle. He is approachable. He's humble in heart. That humble in heart or lowly in heart, translated in different ways, it means that he is accessible. He is approachable. You know, if someone is really high and exalted and super important and everything, you're afraid to go to them, right? But what about someone who's just really low and humble? It's just like, man, I feel totally safe coming to this person. The incredible thing about Jesus is that he is the risen Lord over the whole universe and yet is humble in heart. It's just mind-boggling. But he is the most accessible, understanding person you can ever imagine. And he says, come to me. Right where you are. Right now. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter the shame and the guilt that you're carrying. It doesn't matter how broken your heart is or how great the resistance is. Just come to me. It's his invitation to us. So let me close this there and just, we've got about, you know, ten, roughly 10 minutes to just interact over this a little bit, which sometimes is the most helpful part. What, what's happening in you as you think about Jesus' invitation to come to him, as we think about taking on the yoke of Jesus, the weariness of life apart from him. Let's hear from each other. Um, so, it was your question of like what like keeps you from coming to him, and you were talking about busyness. And I find that, so I try to sit, I'm, right now I'm sitting down in the morning to read my Bible, and I find very often I'll sit down, and all of a sudden I, my legs start shaking, I put my phone away, but I often like, in my head, I'm like, wait, I got to do this, I got to do this. And I have to, like, pray and calm my mind before I can even start reading because I'm so distracted. But even then, 
I have to like constantly throughout my reading, like I'll have to reread something or I'll have to go back to the Lord and be like, Lord, I need help because <laughs> yeah. I am so distracted. Like I want the control and it's so, so difficult to give it up. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, Alexis. I know a lot of us can relate to that. I definitely can. That distraction. I think it's one of the reasons we need a lot more time alone in solitude with him than we think. Because I think oftentimes we want to like kind of schedule it in. Well, I got about 20 minutes here, so I'll squeeze fit Jesus in here. And I find sometimes it takes 20 minutes before my soul just starts to quiet down. The noise starts to come down. And you can't really, you should schedule it, but could you schedule your spouse? You know, it, it's that time. You got to have that time, that space. Thank you for sharing that. That's I relate to that too. Do you think people like his teaching is really hard? They look at it that yes. way because we're we don't want to surrender. Yes, we see that it's too hard. Yes, it's easier for us to hold on to yeah. what we are doing that way. And it's like it's not you're teaching your kids. You're like, you, of course. Me, I'm not a gentle parent. I try to do it this way, you know. But yeah, you know. But they, because this is the right way. But yeah, and that's what he's trying to tell us. Yeah, you know, the right way to do things. You think it's so true. I think we often think the way of Jesus is wearying and burdensome. I think many of us, I certainly speak for myself, we envision God to be like a taskmaster. Someone who's never pleased and demanding. And that, by the way, is an unbiblical view of God. And certainly of Jesus as he reveals him here. And the hard way is doing life on our own. That's what we really got to see. That is the hard way. To do life in my own strength and my own resources. To make life work on my own apart from him is the hard way. Now, we have plenty of evidence for the truth of that, right? We have plenty of burden and weariness. And Jesus is saying, I am telling you to follow me is the easy way to do life. Uh, I was looking at the message, and in the uh, paraphrased version, one thing that stuck out to me says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Mm. That's quite a line right there. So there's still a lot that, you know, I'm sitting here processing and trying to think about, and we talked a little bit earlier. Um, I think one thing that keeps me from coming to Jesus is control. It's a big one. Um, but also just uh, not being able to receive love mm. very well. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know if that stems from childhood or what or all, all sorts of things. But it's, I think that when God looks at me, sometimes I worry that he still sees some of Jesus' blood on me. It's like it's been paid for, but like when you look at me, you're like, yeah, I had to pay for it though. Hmm. Like it's, it's like, well, someone else had to pay your debt rather than just like, yeah, you're clean. Yeah. It's like, you're clean, but. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, that's, that's tough to kind of wrestle with and just be accepted and yeah. be loved. Yeah. So that, that's what's keeping me. That's one yeah. of the things. Um, yeah. 
you know, I think wrestling with it is like you said, just getting into scripture, just yeah. continuing to pursue him because yeah. it is easy. And, and that's the only, it's the only way that I have to deal with it yeah. is just to rely on him yeah. even more. Like, cause without that, I mean, I'd be even more of a mess. Yeah. Right. I really appreciate you sharing that, Jonathan, because I think that's where so many of us are, is that we can know about God's love and grace here, like be experts at it, but yet not receive and experience and know it here. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face in living the Christian life, living out of a, a rational understanding rather than a hard experience. But that's the game changer. When you experience the love of the Father, I mean, it just, it changes everything. And it did for Jesus. I mean, that was his energy for life. Um, I think I have found just over the course of my life that I tend to come to Jesus much more readily when things feel out of my control, like when there's something mm. really big or really, really hard. But it's the small daily moments that I think I have a handle on myself or yeah. that I can't handle myself. Yeah. And so there's sort of this sense... I mean, there's way more small little hard moments than there are big moments. Mm -hmm. And so I think I have this cumulative effect almost of building up. I don't come and I don't come and I don't come. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of what that stems from is just really not, not a lack of trust. Like mm. I just really don't, I don't know if it's that I don't, that I trust him in big things and not in small things, mm. or if it's just I don't think the small things are... <coughs> like worth his time yeah. um, for me to come to him about. But I just have seen that pattern in my life mm. and something I long to be different. Like I long to come to him and the little things too. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Definitely identifying with. There's no others. We can keep talking about this like in community groups, right? This week. And process it. Let me close this in prayer and Mark, if you go ahead and come up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that for every person in this room, no matter where we are with you, I pray that we would just maybe we would set aside some quiet time today where we would allow ourselves to really Meditate on and ponder your invitation to us to come to you, to take your yoke upon us. And I just pray that as a church that we would just be growing as disciples of Jesus, that we would be experiencing the abundant life of Jesus as we are with you and as we are taking your life upon our own. Would you let us be a church that is growing as disciples and that is making disciples? Come and do that in us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.